go ahead and start this morning here with an illustration. There once was a man named Alan. Alan had uh, saved money over several several years, and he had one goal in mind. He was going to buy a house. And after the years of saving and he's looking through all these different houses, he realizes that he does not have the money to buy the fancy house that he desires. He's not going to find one that's complete. He's not going to find one with all the bells and whistles. So he starts looking at fixer-uppers. You see, Alan had spent some time on HGTV, and he thought that he had acquired the skills necessary to renovate a home. So he spent some time looking through all these fixer-uppers, and after a few months, he finds the perfect home for him. He sees the price, he blowballs the offer completely, and to his surprise, it is accepted immediately. That never happens. He's really excited. He decides to wait the inspection. He says, bring it on. I can take it. So he starts moving in the stuff that he has to this new house, and he picks up this strange smell. It's toxic. It's definitely around. He can't get rid of it. So he starts seeking through his house, trying to find where the aroma is coming from. This uh, journey leads him into the crawl space, and to his horror, he sees underneath the house there was a lot of leaky pipes down there. Not only the ones that supply the water, but the ones that drain, too. That's right, there's sewage down in the crawl space. HGTV did not tell him how to fix this, so he has to get a quote from a plumber, and he is devastated when he gets this quote. It's way above the price range that he would like. But reluctantly, he gives the plumber uh, the money. The plumber fixes the issue onwards and upwards for Alan. One day, he's tearing down a wall that's in the middle of the room, and he notices something as he's ripping out this wall. There's just a wire just, just hanging there. It's not connected to anything. The wires are exposed. And he thinks, surely, uh, this is not live wire. So he reaches out just to touch the test, immediately pulls his hand back and says, I can't believe it. The wire is alive. Once again, HDTV failed him. They don't show the parts where the electric, electricians actually do the work. They just fast forward to that part. So he says, I have to hire out an electrician. Once again, he spends a lot of money to get this issue fixed. Alan is tapped out. He has no more money to spend on this house. So over the course of the next year, month by month, he gets a little bit more each paycheck and pours into this house. A year goes by, he's doing some landscaping around the house, and he notices this huge crack along the brick foundation wall. He says, oh, no. He has to hire a, an engineer to come take, a structural engineer to come and take a look at this. And to his horror, the engineer tells him, yeah, this, this house is collapsing on itself. It's going to cost a fortune to fix this house. Alan has to list his house. And he has to disclose uh, that there's a crack in the foundation. So he ends up selling the house for less than what he actually bought it for. It's devastating. A lot of times, we tend to plan out stuff, and it just does not work out. And you guys relate to that. You plan from A to Z, and you think that things are going to go a certain way. And before you even get to point A, it's collapsing in on itself. You know who does not have this problem? God. God's plans never uh, go astray. Everything happens exactly how he wants it to. From A to Z, it's planned, and it works out perfectly. God is unchanging. He is sovereign. All his plans come into fruition. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But let's have an honest moment here about Scripture, can we? In the Old Testament, it seems like the answer to sin seems to be consistently wrath. If someone sins, God pours a wrath out on to them. So maybe their life is taken or they're given a punishment for their disobedience. But in the New Testament, it appears that there's a lot of grace from Christ, doesn't there? Um, you know, whenever people sin, for instance, the woman at the well who had several husbands, 
uh, Christ ministers to her rather than punishes, punishes her. Um, and we see it consistently throughout the New Testament that grace seems to be more means for sin and correction. If God is the same, why are things so different, or why do they appear different, the Old Testament versus the New? And the answer is the cause for sin has not changed at all. Wrath is the answer for sin. Judgment is the answer for, for sin. However, the intended plan to escape God's wrath and be counted as righteous has come into fruition through Jesus Christ. It was always the plan for Christ. So once again, the intended plan to escape God's wrath and be counted as righteous has come into fruition through Christ. Today we're going to be examining uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel again. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn and Daniel chapter 9 is where we're going to be spending our time today. Um, in Daniel 9, Daniel prays to the Lord. Within his prayer, we're going to see a few things. I'm going to give you a roadmap. I'm going to tell you exactly where we are going today. Uh, the first thing that we're going to see in this prayer is a believer's prayer model for us to see. Daniel is a man fiercely devoted to God. His prayer is different than other prayers that we see in Scripture, and it's a lot different than a lot of prayers we hear today. His prayer is filled with knowledge, anticipation, and a response to God's character. Now, this doesn't mean that we are going to recite this exact prayer to God. That's not the goal. Rather, it is to see Daniel's intention in his heart when he prays to the Lord. The second thing we are going to see is God's unchanging character. As we were just singing, God is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Through Daniel's prayer, this is going to be revealed to us more. Lastly, we will see what a response to sin and God's sovereignty should be. A response to sin and God's sovereignty should be. So if you need assurance of God's unchanging character, if your prayer life has become stagnant or non-existent, or if you need reminded of God's grace, you think a good day to come to church. If you have never heard the gospel or have not accepted Christ, you think a really good day to come to church. The gospel is going to be proclaimed today through the Old Testament. We have a lot to cover today, and time is limited, so let's jump right into the scripture. Starting with chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of me, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So what's going on in Scripture? Where are we at in the biblical timeline, so to speak? Well, Daniel gives us a few indicators here. Darius the Mede is one indicator. Uh, another name is Cyrus the Great that's associated with this name, Darius the Mede. Uh, that might have a few light bulbs going off. Obviously, Cyrus the Great is the one that passes a decree that allows the Israelites to return back to their homeland to rebuild their temple. Um, and this is common throughout Scripture. To associate a leader um, or a ruler with a certain significant uh, event in time. And we do this too. Um, so if you guys have a little exercise with me, who was the president when the towers fell? Go ahead and shout the answer to Oh, thank you. Bush, what year was it? 2001. Good, okay. Who was the first president of the United States? What year was it? Can you hear that? Your 1700s, that's good. Say it loud. No, 1798. 
several you were wrong, just like I was. So uh, I actually had to look up the answer. That's the only reason that I know it. But you knew who the first president of the United States was. You just didn't know the year. So you have tied a significant event in time to a ruler. So we're not so different from Daniel. Another indicator that he gives us in the biblical timeline is the number of years before the desolation should end, namely the 70 years. The 70 years Daniel is referring to is uh, prophesied in the book of Jeremiah. Because of the Israelites' disobedience, they were delivered into the hands of their enemy for 70 years. And Daniel perceived it was coming up to the end of these 70 years. Can you imagine the anticipation? Imagine that you're at work and you have had just a chaotic week. Work just keeps piling on and on and on. Eventually, it's comical. You're laughing at your co-worker saying, there's no way you're going to get this work done. But you've got the saving grace. Right at 5 o'clock, you get a punch out and get to enjoy your weekend. Relief is coming. Maybe you can relate to Daniel in a small way. But can you imagine 70 years of waiting? And he perceives this through the word of the Lord. You can imagine Daniel's excitement. So this brings us to our first application point for prayer this morning. Prayer is our response to God's word. Prayer is our response to God's word. Once again, verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel's response to perceiving this from the word of the Lord is prayer. This is common throughout scripture, Nehemiah 8 and 9. Uh, you biblical scholars, you want to write that. That's another great example. Whenever the people hear the word of the Lord, immediately they weep, they repent, and they begin praying. God's word consistently has the ability to change our hearts. And our response, one of them should be prayer. So when is the last time that you have read scripture, just set it aside, and just started praying? Is that a part of your prayer life? It should be. Daniel sees the value of this. So perhaps you're reading scripture and you see what God is calling you to do, so you pray for strength or wisdom. You've seen God's promises and thanked Him for them. You've seen what God has done and the consistency of His character and thanked Him for who He is and His actions. Seen the work of Christ and accepted it and accepted Him. You see, it wasn't Ryan's eloquent speech. Uh, the reason I was saying it was the scripture. He kept pointing the scripture, and I kept reading and reading, and eventually I came to Christ. The power within the word of the Lord is great power. It can change our hearts. Daniel is praying as a response to God's word. We should also pray in response to God's word. We're going to continue through the scripture here. I've got quite a bit to read here, verses 4 through 15. Follow along with me, please. I pray to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name uh, to our kings, our priests, and our fathers. And to all the people of the land, to you, O Lord, belong is righteousness, but to us, open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, 
because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by servants and prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, and we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. You know, that's a lot there, but he's drawing it on a point. And prayer is a time of confession. Prayer is a time of confession. Beginning in verse 4, Daniel begins making confession to the Lord. In his confession, he, uh, he confesses the sins of himself and Israel. He doesn't use words like they and men. He uses words like us and we. He is a part of that. Uh, in verse 8, he draws attention to people of status as well. So we have kings, princes, fathers, those in authority. The entirety of Israel deserved punishment for what they had done. No one was exempt. There was not one without sin, despite appearances or status. This is also important in verse 14. Daniel states that it is righteous for God to punish the Israelites for their disobedience. That is righteous. To not punish sin would be unrighteous. People often tend to think or act like they are entitled to God's grace. Well, he made me to sin. I deserve a way out. You deserve eternal punishment is what you deserve for your sin. That is what righteousness is. And I'm going to be honest, I believe several Christians have become callous to the price of sin. You see, we live in the grace of Christ, so often we forget the price that was paid for us. Sin is very serious. How serious is the sin in Scripture? Well, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. We've all heard that. There will be punishment of eternal destruction, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. And the Old Testament does a very thorough job of revealing the price for your sin. Three quarters of this book here is a very thorough job. The punishment was so severe that you saw in 2 Samuel 6.7 was immediately put to death when he touched the ark. He tried to keep it from falling and he touched it and he was immediately put to death because he disobeyed God. So then imagine that you are at the gym, you finished a good workout, you're spending some time after the workout with the boys, just chatting it up, and there's an attractive woman that walks by you guys. One of the guys turns around, looks at the lady and says, she is fine. All of a sudden the atmosphere just changes, as all the guys surrounding the guy that made the comment start to take a step back in fear. The ground 
ground beneath the man and made a comment begins to open up. As he's dragged down into the pit, you can see the panic and fear in his eyes because he knows what he's done. You can hear a grown man scream. The price of sin is severe. This is what happened in Korah's rebellion. Daniel's ancestors had seen the price of sin. They were currently paying the price of sin. Just the fact that Israel was left alive is God's grace. I hope that you understand the severity of your sin, and even though you live in the grace of Christ, that you don't forget the price that has been paid. You have also rebelled against God. Daniel understands the severity of your sin and uses words that aren't used as much anymore. Wickedness, rebellious, turning away, sin. There is no confusion with how Israel got to where they are. Daniel knows it and the people know it. They were about to turn away from God and now they are suffering punishment. In verse 12, which I read a little bit earlier, there has been nothing like this calamity that has been done before. Meaning that this was so severe that nothing like it had happened before. They are feeling the weight of their sin. They are sinners in the hands of a righteous God and they have brought it upon themselves. That is what they deserve. If I could summarize verses 3 through 15 very quickly, it would be, people are terrible and God is great. There's a compare and contrast throughout Daniel's prayer over and over again. What they deserve is to remain in captivity and never hear from God again. They deserve to spend all eternity in their sin. Let's continue on with Daniel's prayer. Taking back up in verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city of Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Prayer points points to God's glory and character. Prayer points to God's glory and character. Repeatedly, Daniel addresses who God is within his prayer. Our God is a God who keeps covenants. Our God is a God who is righteous, who is merciful. The appeal to God to be granted forgiveness and righteousness can't be based upon what Israel has earned. They are suffering what they have earned. Israel has shown a repeated pattern of rebellion. Not only have they rebelled, but they will continue to rebel. They have not earned forgiveness, and and they will not in a thousand lifetimes. God's forgiveness is not based upon the Israelites' character. It is based upon His. Daniel appeals to God's character for forgiveness. Not what they have earned, but because of who He is. He requests deliverance for God's people based upon the sake of God's name. Daniel is reaching out to God in absolute desperation. He is putting his plea before the Lord for him and, his, and uh, God's people. 
And Daniel's prayer is not self-centered in the least. People simply don't pray like this anymore often, do they? He pleads for God's people. He pleads for the nation. He asks for deliverance so that God's name will be glorified. Not so that they're glorified, but that God will be glorified. Now, Daniel was a veteran of prayer. He prayed three times a day. He would face towards Jerusalem, and he would pray to the Lord three times a day. A man that had seen God do wondrous, awesome things. And this is how he prays. He prays for, for God's glory, not for himself. Our prayers today have a tendency to kind of be temporal rather than eternal. I mean, if we often think about it. And so we'll pray for temporary things rather than with an eternal perspective in mind. So when was the last time that you have prayed for God's name to be glorified? No matter what happens to me, God, I want your name to be glorified. Let's challenge you. Do you give credit to God for what he has done in your life or do you pass it over? Do you simply say it's coincidence? Or have you pleaded with God and said, please deliver me from this, please help me, and then after he delivers you or gives you a blessing, you thank him for it, or do you pass it over? Are you expectant of an answer like Daniel was whenever you prayed? Daniel was expectant of an answer. Daniel was pleading with God, and he was expectant. Let's continue reading and see God's response to Daniel. Picking back up here in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. I'll say that again. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Prayer expects God's response. Prayer expects God's response. God answers Daniel while he is still praying. As soon as he began his prayer, the word went out. And God's response before anything else is, you are loved. He gives Daniel insight and understanding, and then he gives him a vision. Now, visions can oftentimes be difficult to interpret today. And they can be challenging. Sometimes they can cause a lot of debate, which is exactly why I'm going to leave Ryan to interpret for you next week. So uh, definitely come back and, and you guys can hear the interpretation of the vision. Um, but there are three things that we can glean from God's word here just by hearing the response. The first is that God answers Daniel while he is still praying. God answers prayers. You have faith in that. You have faith that whenever you commune and talk with God that he does give you an answer. He gives uh, Daniel... By looking at history and knowing scripture, we know shortly after this, a decree of Cyrus was issued, which allowed the Israelites to return home. God did exactly what he said he was going to do after 70 years. Can you imagine that? Waiting 70 years, and then God does exactly what he said he was going to do. He was constant. He did move 
himself to save. And the third point, God gives us more than we can think or imagine whenever we are in communion with him. Daniel is pleading to the Lord to be delivered. He's pleading for the Lord to remain true to his promise. But the Lord gives him that and also gives him wisdom and understanding through the form of a vision. Whenever we pray and we're in communion, we can expect God to give us more than we can uh, ever predict. So I'd like for you to spend some time and examine the prayer of Daniel this week. Does your heart reflect Daniel's in prayer? In, in prayer? Read, pray in response to God's word. Spend some time in chapter 9. The beginning of the sermon, I mentioned that God is unchanging, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Daniel's prayer, we get to see a consistent trait of God. He is forgiving. He is willing to forgive if you are willing to repent. If you are willing to turn from your wicked ways and turn towards him, he is willing to forgive you. Much like the Israelites, we are in a constant pattern of sin, one that we cannot break on our own. We are hopelessly subjected to it, but we are dependent on God's character for forgiveness, not on our own righteousness or works. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whomever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Very popular verse. God is willing to forgive you if you are willing to repent. He proves himself constant by offering you Christ for forgiveness. Christ has paid the price for sin that you rightfully owe. Do not ever forget the price of sin and the price that Christ has paid for us. Abby and I have uh, fostered for a handful of years. Um, and uh, the perception is often that whenever you start fostering, that's difficult. It's very challenging. And don't get me wrong, there's some difficulties and challenges with it. But for the most part, it's a blessing. It brings us a lot of joy. We've had a little Theo who's eight months old uh, for, for a handful of months now. And uh, she's just so beautiful. And she's so full of, of joy. You know, whenever I come home, uh, I walk in the door after a long uh, day at work. I've had a terrible day. My kids rush up and greet me and give me a hug. My wife will be holding me and she'll start shaking her arms and legs and she'll just have this giggle with her. It's just very uplifting. The love is reciprocal. Even at eight months old, she loves us and we love her. Do you want to know who the true heroes are within the foster care system? They're the ones uh, that are parents and after their children are raised and they uh, send their, their children off and they have families of their own. They say, we're going to take in some foster teens. See, teens that are in the foster care system are normally veterans of that system, meaning that they've been in and out quite a bit. They've been pulled from their parents. They've had broken promises. They've hopped from foster parent to foster parent. And that comes with a lot of baggage, emotional baggage, a lot of pain. The heroes say, I will take on those kids. Oftentimes, the foster teens, either by directly saying it or by their actions, will say things like, whenever you take me in, I'm going to break everything you own. I'm going to take a chair to your nice TV, I'm going to shatter it. I'm going to take a knife, I'm going to cut up your couch, I'm going to destroy everything you have. You're going to worry about me, I'm not going to be home whenever I say I'm going to be. You're going to worry about where I am and the penalty that you're going to have to pay for not knowing. And they'll say, I'm going to try and destroy your marriage. Because I hurt so much and no one could ever love me. Why should somebody love you? The pain 
unbearable. And the only way they can relate to somebody else is by sharing in that pain. The hero in the foster care system and the one that takes up these teens says, I'm not going to leave you. You can break my things. You can challenge me. You can try me as much as you want. I will not leave And then what happens? The foster team does exactly what they said they were going to do. They destroy everything. They cause complete total chaos in the house. But consistently, the hero says, I am not going to abandon you. You are valued. I love you. Perhaps this morning there's some among us that have not accepted Christ yet, that have not received forgiveness. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's forgiveness, but because of his character, he is willing to grant forgiveness to you. We must never forget that. So we're like holes in china shops, okay? We just destroy everything. But God's love is so great that he's willing to forgive you for that. So if you haven't accepted Christ yet, please, please consider it. Please come talk to me or one of the elders afterwards or somebody who brought you today. If you haven't accepted Christ, remember to always walk in understanding of the price that Christ has actually paid for you. Do not ever forget it. You are not deserving of grace, but God extends it because of who he is. You are not valuable because you have earned it, but because God says you are valuable. You absolutely need the Lord. Desperately, much like being in it. And I pray that throughout this week, you would really 